0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you've found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 1, verse 24, down to verse number 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, down to verse 32. We are Lord willing... Going to finish our study in Romans 1 this morning. This is the Apostle Paul who is writing. And in this chapter, he's giving us a picture of ourselves. That's why we called this part of the study a selfie. How many of you know what a selfie is? Let me see, all right? You proved you knew one last week because everybody took one in church, right? He's given us a picture of ourselves. And he's saying, this is who we are. This this is who we, as human beings, as mankind, this is who we are. So he's gone on this long list of who we are. He's he's not done yet, just so you know. Chapter 2, it's a picture of who we are. Chapter 3, it's a picture of who we are. All the way up until the end of chapter 3. And then he says, by the way, this is who Jesus is. That's when it gets good, okay? But you got to hang with me through chapter 1, 2, and 3 in order to get that. Verse number 24. So wherefore, God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So time out. Look here. We talked about this last week, but here's what he said. That when there is disbelief in the heart, there will be a dishonoring in the body. When we disbelieve God in our heart, when we say either God doesn't exist, God doesn't know better, God isn't in control of me, God doesn't get to say how I live, He doesn't get to tell me how I use my identity, how I use my sexuality, how I use my money. God doesn't get to tell me how to do that. When there is disbelief in the heart, there is a dishonoring in the body. So it also works the other way. When you see a dishonoring in the body, you can know that there is some sort of disbelief in the heart. So we said this last week when... Someone walks over and he says, Pastor, I decided I don't believe in God anymore. I decided that God doesn't exist. My general response to that is, how long have you been sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Because this is how it goes. I, mean, I don't like what God has to say, so I decide that God doesn't exist. Because if God does exist, and if He is who He says He is, then that means I have to yield myself to Him, and I don't get to be my own God. So what Paul says is, wherefore then God gave them up. So God says, okay, fine. You you want your own way? Have it your own way. And this is literally the, the wrath of God working in our lives is when God takes his hand off of our lives and says, okay, if you think you know better than I do, then here you go. So verse 25 then. So who changed? So these people who thought they knew better than God, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or unseemly or not natural, being filled with... With all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. What? How did that get in there? Where did that come from? This is the expression of our sinfulness to God. Without understanding, verse 31. Covenant breakers. Without natural affection. Implacable. Unmerciful. And then the catch the weight of verse 32. Who knowing, they, they know it who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do. them. So two points. We'll pray. I'll let you sit down. First, regardless of where you stand on the issues that we are about to talk about in Romans chapter 1, You have to obey today. You have to behave. If you think that I'm taking too light of a stance on the issue and you want to shout out, you don't get to shout out. That's why the gentlemen are in the back of the room. If you think I'm taking too hard of a stance on the issues that are in the text today and you want to shout out, You don't get to shout out. That's why the gentlemen are in the back of the room. You will be lovingly removed. And here's the thing. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. You you are allowed to ask any question that you might have that generates from the text. But there is a time and a place and a way to do that. And this is not the time, the place, or the way. So if something said generates a question or a response in your heart or mind, feel free to find me or the pastors or the deacons or any of our spiritual leaders after church, and we'll be more than happy to have a sit-down conversation with you over a cup of coffee and explain why it is that we take the positions that we take. But if you do that, you have to do that respectfully. You say, well, then, Pastor, why do you get to be the guy that talks? Well, because I'm the pastor. (laughs) So if you want to be the guy that talks, well, you got to be the pastor then. And you ain't being the pastor here. you got to go find your own place. And second, our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist is next chapter and next verse. Okay, so we have for seven weeks been walking toward Romans chapter number one. there no one opened the Bible this morning and went, (gasps) oh! pastors in Romans 1? Thought we were hanging out in Psalms. We preach expositionally. That's what that's called. We preach expositionally. We preach next chapter, next verse. And we do that as a way of keeping our pastor and pastors and teachers accountable to God's word. You see, preaching next chapter and next verse means I don't get the stuff, I don't get to skip the stuff that feels uncomfortable. I'm responsible to God for every word that I preach, and I'm responsible to God to preach every word that's in His book. I'm also responsible to the church. And so this is the way that we keep our teachers accountable so that we don't skip stuff that might be culturally Uh, difficult in order to talk about the things that we want to talk about. So our Bible preaching and teaching method is next chapter and next verse. So if you want to say, Pastor, well, when do we get the stuff about love and peace and everything works together for good, and can't we all just join hands and sing kumbaya? Well, that's like Romans chapter 4. So if you'll get here, we we should be there about June, I think, right? (laughs) Come back and see us then. And those are the rules for this morning. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray that God would give me wisdom in delivering what is, in some aspects, a very difficult text, and when in some aspects is a very simple text. And this is what we look like when we decide we know better than God. But we want this text to be delivered in a way that's full of grace, and full of truth. Can we do that? All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would this morning give us wisdom as we study your word. Father, we ask that you would bless us, bless our time together, teach us something from your word, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. maybe may be seated. The Bible is telling us that this is what has gone wrong with mankind. It's nothing new. Everyone knows that something has gone terribly wrong with us. Agnostics, atheists all will agree there is something wrong with humanity. The, the things we see in our world, the way that we see our world working, the things that we see take place on a global or a world scale, all of us know that something has gone wrong. The question is not, has something gone wrong? The question is, why has something gone wrong? You know, what has caused the world to go as bad as it is going? Well, the Bible, in particular, the authors of the Bible, and in, this, in this case, Paul, who is writing the book of Romans, says the reason it is going wrong, the reason why our world is going the way that it is, the reason why we see all the evils and injustices taking place in our day and age, the reason why there are natural disasters and catastrophes and earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and rain in Southern California, the reason why these things take place is is because of sin. Sin has broken us. Sin has broken our world. Sin has caused the world to be removed from that protective, guiding order that God has given to it. And so sin breaks the world. Roman, Paul will say later on in Romans that the earth groans within herself. The reason these things exist is because of Sin. Tornadoes were not a part of God's plan. Earthquakes were not a part of God's plan. Catastrophes, evil, disease, even death. This was not a part of God's plan. For the wages of sin is death. So because of sin, you have the entrance into life. Death, disease, brokenness, and all these other terrible things that we see. This is the difference between what we, as Bible believers or Christians, what we see as why the world is broken, to what everyone else says. The the Christians and Bible-believing Christians believe that the world is broken, the world is broken because of sin. And this sin, seen in this text as disbelief in God, Knowing who God is, knowing what God has done, understanding, looking out at the natural order of things and going, this didn't just happen here, but there is a creator, there is a designer, and that seeing this inside of a natural revelation and then coming to understand this God through the special revelation of His Word and then going, oh my goodness, God does exist and God does love me and God proved that He loves us not just because He created us, but because God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. For God commendeth, or or proved, His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God proved that he loved us because he first made us, because he blessed us, because he fashioned us. But then God also proved that he loved us by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. And yet, we have decided to disbelieve this God and think that we know better than God on how our lives should go. The the, the authors of the Bible say this. This isn't just a certain group of people that do this. This is everyone. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is you. This is me. This is us. Even the guy you're listening to this morning is a sinner in need of a righteous Savior. I needed the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from myself. Even the writers of the Bible themselves say this. They speak this about themselves. There are none righteous, no, not one. And so everyone is disqualified because everyone has sinned. And it is this sin that has caused our world to be broken. That has caused the relationships in our world to be broken. That has caused the nature of our world itself to be broken. And because of this, the Lord, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for all that would believe on Him. So you have three ideas then. You have first, the essence of sin. Look at verse number 24, verse number 25. So, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies, to to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and who worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, God has given them up, or God gave them up, it says. We've said this before, but this was the first wave of God's judgment. This is a way of saying, God gave us what we asked for. We asked for life our own way. We asked to be able to make up our own rules. We asked to be our own gods. We asked to have our control, our own destinies. And so God gave us what we asked for. And in us asking God, here's what we want, we dishonored God. That's verse number 21. So we dishonor God. Why? Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So we went to God. We said, we know better than you do. We want to call our own shots. We want to live life our own way. And so God gave them up because we dishonored him. So God dishonors us by saying, okay, fine. You think you know better than I do? Well, then go ahead. And the Bible says literally they got exchanged, or that they changed. That's verse number 23. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God. He says it again in verse number 24. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness. This gave them up, or or the phrase in verse 23, changed. It literally means they they traded. They exchanged. So so they exchanged the understanding of this. All-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God, they they traded it for what? They traded it for something that that they made up themselves, something of their own devices. They wanted a God that was more manageable, that was more likable. They wanted a God that was more in line with the way they wanted to live and not what he had to say. And so God exchanged, they changed, and so God gave them over, the Bible says. But gave them over to what? Look at the verse. Gave them over to uncleanness. This word uncleanness, literally, the phrase literally has to do with the contents of the grave. So God gave them over to that which is defiling. God gave them over to that which is, which is dirty, or what he'll say later, unseemly. He gave them over to this uncleanness. But notice the verse, where does the uncleanness come from? Look at the verse, verse 24. So wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. So where does the uncleanness that God gives us over to, that God gives us up to, where does this come from? It comes from our own hearts. You cannot trust your own heart. That's what he's saying. Jeremiah, the prophet, has already said this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The writer James, he says the same thing in James chapter number 1. That every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed and lust hath conceived. It bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So man is drawn into sin. How? Man is drawn into sin by the uncleanness of his heart through his own lust or his own desires or his own ideas. Look here or his own wants. So, so, man is given over to this uncleanness, the contents of the grave, to death when he's drawn away of his own lust, his own desires, because I want what I want, and I don't want what God wants for me. And so, because of this, right, because, it, because of this uncleanness, then, man, God has separated us from himself. This is basic to man's sinfulness. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Where do all those things come from? They flow from the heart. For out of the heart proceed. Where where does that come from? It comes from deep within us. Romans 5 answers the question in this way. For as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Why? For all have sinned. Our hearts have been corrupted by sin. So maybe you're going, well, no, not, not me, Pastor, because I know people who are a lot worse than I am. I, I know people who do a lot worse things than I do. I know people who do a lot more vile or awful or terrible or evil things than what I do. But, but hear me on this. Having a corrupted heart, having a sinful heart, it does not mean that we are as bad as we could be, but what it does mean is that every part of our hearts is corrupted. So you go, well, I know somebody worse than me. Okay, great. Just because you're better than them does not mean that you are righteous in the eyes of God. So the Bible says this: they, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. So oftentimes, though, we think, well, I know somebody worse than I am, and so that must mean that I am some way good. No, no, no. We are still, all of us, are still given over to a corrupted heart. We, still have, we are still wrong in our hearts. And someone says, but, but Pastor, I was, I was born this way. Well, I don't dispute that. I don't argue with that. If some of us were born with a propensity for selfishness. You, you, never, you never taught your, your child how to go, mine. No parent in the room sat down with their toddler and said, now when you really want something in the store, what you do is you throw yourself on the floor and you kick your feet and then you get what you want. Nobody took their kids and said, now we're going to take you to the church nursery. And if this other little ki- child takes your toy, how you get your toy back is you grab their arm and you bite them. No one ever teaches their children these things. And yet, all of our children do these things. Don't, don't just look at me like it's only mine. Yours do it too. I know. I get the nursery report, right? And no one teaches well, well, where does this come from then? it comes from our own hearts. You say, Well, I was born this way. I have this propensity. We have a propensity to selfishness. Doesn't make selfishness right. Some people have a propensity to some raging anger, some some raging temper. Doesn't it make it right. It's just because you're naturally more angry than someone else is doesn't mean that your anger is correct. doesn't mean that your anger is right. It doesn't justify your anger. And in the same way, neither does claiming that I was born this way, with this propensity, with this natural affection. All that tells us is something is wrong inside of the heart. Being born a certain way is why the Bible's message is you must be born again. This is why we need to be born again. This is why John chapter 3, where Jesus uh, is interacting with Nicodemus, says you must be born. Well, how can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb again? Is this even possible? No, you must be born of water, which is a natural birth, but you must also be born of the spirit, which is a spiritual birth. Simply claiming to be born a certain way or not a certain way is not good enough. Simply possessing a desire innately. Simply having a feeling in your heart. All that shows is that your heart is corrupted and that you need to be born again. What it also says is we live in a culture in a day where we elevate our feelings to the status of God. Okay, so because I feel a certain way, or because I have certain feelings, or because I want certain things, well, then I must do those things because I have these feelings. I mean, my feelings can't be wrong, can they? Well, all of us have lived long enough to know that our feelings are certainly wrong. Remember the first boyfriend you ever had? Oh, you thought you were going to love him. In fourth grade, you were going to be happily ever after. And then you two broke up because he started sitting by the other girl at lunch, or he gave her his pudding, and now, oh my goodness, he's the worst person on the planet, right? Our feelings change all the time. Think about your own feelings toward music. Think about how your own musical feelings have adjusted, right? There's certain times we like certain genres of music. There's certain seasons we like other genres of music. Why? Because our feelings change. This is certainly true that our feelings change. So simply claiming, well, I have a feeling, and so this feeling cannot be wrong, we have lived long enough, experienced enough to know that our feelings not only lie, but our feelings are terrible gods. Is now we're subject to whatever it is that our feelings are calling the shots in our lives. Our own hearts have been corrupted. And hear me, when our heart is corrupted, our bodies are affected. So that's why he says, and they dishonor their own bodies. Dishonor literally means degrade. To degrade or to treat shamefully. You treat the body shamefully. You treat the body with dishonor. We see this in our society. Our society treats the body with shame in so many ways. We have a disregard for human life. We have a disregard even for our own lives. We see this manifested in, in abortion and in, in euthanasia. We see this manifested in physical, verbal, uh, even emotional abuse. We treat the body shamefully, dishonoring the body, giving no honor to the body. To either your own or anyone else's. You say, why, this, why has this happen? Well, look at verse 25. It's happened because they changed the truth of God into a lie. They worshipped and served the creature more than, than, than the Creator. So number one, the essence of sin. Now Paul gets very specific. How is it then that we defile and dishonor the body? Well, look at, look at the verse. Verse number... 26. And so for this cause, God gave them up unto, and then the phrase is, vile affections. Do you see that phrase in your Bible? The phrase is vile affection. In other words, illicit loves. Vile affections. Illicit loves. Wrong feelings. Desiring something internally. Our own heart's desire. Our our own wants. Our own lust. It's all the same idea. These vile or dirty or awful or offensive or unclean loves or affections or lust or desires. It's all the same word. How far does this go? How far do our illicit loves go? How far do our vile affections go? Well, then he uses as an expression of sin the, the farthest reach he says this, he, he's using verse number 26, he's using verse 26 and 27 as this illustration to show you how, just how far we go. So that's number two, the expression of sin. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections or illicit loves. For even, or as an expression, or in this way, you can understand for even in, in that way, for in this way, in this way our illicit loves are shown, that women did leave the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. So to put it very concisely and particularly, homosexual behavior is parallel with dishonoring the body and doing what is not proper, what is not right, or what is unseemly, which means it is not fit. It is an illicit love. Homosexual behavior is an act of sin against the Creator God. Homosexual behavior is an act of rebellion against the Creator. It's literally what he just said. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, look at it, more than the Creator. So homosexual, here's what his argument is. Homosexual behavior goes against the purposes of creation. That's why he uses the phrase, change the natural use. That's why he uses the phrase, that which is against nature. It goes against the purposes of creation. Paul has already made this argument. Earlier on, and even this, in, this, in this, just a few verses before, he's made the argument about, About creation, about looking out into creation and understanding from creation a certain order, a certain way that things should be. Genesis chapter number 1 teaches us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in this creation, God also created man and God also created woman. That God made man and God made woman and God made both of them in his unique image. And God not only made them, not only did he create them, but God had a very specific design for them. What was the design? That man, one man, and one woman should live together in a beautiful state of marriage because it would be a picture of his love for you and me. That a man and woman could be together inside of this beautiful picture of marriage and that in this picture we see a not illicit love, Not a vile affection, but we see a picture of perfect love, and we see a picture of perfect affection. Why? Because God designed it to be that way. And that these two, a man and a woman, a male and a female, these two particular, specific genders, that these two then in the garden could be naked and unashamed, and they would have a one-flesh union, that is a sexual relationship that would result... And populating the earth that would also allow man to fulfill his created purposes of having dominion over all the earth, which God instituted in the garden. God gave man this woman. Why? Because man needed this companionship in life. Because God looked down on all that he made, and he saw the man all by himself and said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he made man a help a completer. Someone who knows the directions. That's what she's there for. So we see... Three things then about this expression of sin. It's against the divine design. It's against the divine design. That you can look into creation. This is Paul's argument. You can look into creation. You can understand the way that your body works. And you can know that there is a specific design that God has given to you and to me, to man and to woman. And that things against this design are actually not just against the body. It's it's not just a use of your sexuality. It's not just an enjoyment in a certain pleasure. It's not just an expression of my identity. It's actually an attack on the nature of who God made you to be. You see, this, this is where the argument is skewed. Well, I just feel like I should get to do what I want to do. I feel like I should be able to do the things that I enjoy. But, but we are not our own. You don't belong to yourself. You're, you're made in the image of God. Every part of you, God fashioned before you ever stepped one foot onto this earth. God formed you. God fashioned you. God made you. And God formed, fashioned, made you, created you for a specific purpose with a specific design for a specific reason. And so It's not just, I feel like I should get to do what I want to do. No, the argument is, why are you created? What is the purpose you were even given in this life? Number, C, number, number two, or letter B then. So we see a specific design, Genesis chapter 1. Paul even argues this is against the creation we see also in Leviticus 18, we see it in Leviticus 20, where God then gives His law. And in giving His law, God says that there is a specific judgment. There is a specific condemnation. There is a specific wrath that is reserved for those who take His divine design and they use it for their own purposes and their own glory. Leviticus 18 and Leviticus chapter 20 are probably two of the obvious maybe obvious isn't the right word, or difficult passages of Scripture to read in regards to a divine law, how strict God is against those who take what He's made and instead of using it for His glory, they take what He's made in their bodies and they use it for their illicit, they use it for their own purposes, they use it for their own illicit affections. The Bible says in Leviticus 18, Leviticus chapter 20, That you shall not lie with man as with woman. And that when you do this, the law why does God feel the need in the law to say that? Because he's pulling us back to this created order he's saying there's a certain way where your life goes good there's a certain way where i made you and when you live in line with the way that i've made you things go good for you but when you live in line with your own rules making up your own ways doing your own things then you're left with the book of judges that's what you're left with where every man does that which is right in his own mind read the book of judges it's an awful book and that was being done by God's people. I mean, these, these were believers. And they were saying, well, if God doesn't really know what he's talking about. God isn't really in control. And I've got all these feelings anyway, so I feel like I should be able to express them however I choose to. And so God delivers His law as a way of pulling us back into his created order. That there is, this, there is a specific condemnation that is reserved for those who violate this law of God. That's what the Bible says. And then we have it here in Romans chapter number one. Genesis one, Leviticus 18, 19, 20. Romans one, these are probably the largest passages of scripture about this sort of subject. Romans one, Paul is echoing all of this about creation. He uses words likeness or image. Paul is seeing this, Paul is seeing his position about sexuality. Look, not as rooted in the culture. Paul is seeing a Christian's position or view of sexuality is rooted in a created order, not a, not a cultural order. Do you understand that? If Paul is not saying, "Well, what does what does the culture say you can do." What does what does the world say? You what does the Supreme Court say is okay? What does our city say is okay? What's popular opinion? Paul is saying it doesn't matter what popular opinion is. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what is law or legal. It doesn't matter what consensus is, what matters is what is the created order, and that the Christian sees our use of sexuality in line with the Bible's model of the created order, not in line with what the culture says. And so because of this divine design, letter B, a divine law, number three, letter C, God issues this divine judgment. Here's the divine judgment in Romans chapter number one. Look at verse number 27. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. this This is certainly the case, isn't it? Because when we forsake the author of nature, we forsake the order of nature. When we rebel against the divine design, and when we recoil or pull back from the divine law, then we should expect divine judgment. And Paul is doing his best in this passage to present the argument in this way that homosexuality is the most vivid dramatization of dishonoring worship, disordering our lives, and disbelieving in God. That we dishonor our worship of God. We disorder. It, it, that dishonoring brings disorder in our own lives. And that disordering in our lives is a result of a disbelief in God because we are running from divine design. Because we are rebelling against the divine law and we are then receiving a divine judgment. It is. It is to say this that that last phrase, were they receiving in themselves recompense for the for their error. It literally is saying God's going. Okay, fine. You you are literally becoming your own worst enemy. That's what he's saying. You, you are you are in that sense when you're rejecting divine law, when you're rejecting divine creation, you're receiving divine judgment. Is literally you are you are your own worst enemy because why? Because you've exchanged something. Because you've traded the creator of the universe, God as revealed himself in nature, but also in his word. You've traded that for the God, little g, of your own feelings, of your own idea, of your own make believe. And if God is subject to your own feelings, well, then who gets to say who God is like? Who gets to say what God does? We now, now God's just manageable according to us all. And he's just pocket-sized God that we carry around with us wherever we go. This is the essence of sin. This is the extent, This is the expression of sin. Last one, number three. Here's the extent of sin. If you go verse 28 down to verse number 30, 32, and we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but we'll just walk through it. He's just this long catalog of ways that sin shows itself in our lives. This is a long list that he he tells us that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You see that phrase? Here's the expression. They did not want to even think about God or there being a God. They didn't even want to acknowledge that he was there. They tried to mute him from their minds. And they abandoned him. And because they abandoned God, they muted God, They did not want to retain God in their knowledge, so then God abandons them. Hear me. That's the basic problem right there. Men do not want to know God. They do not want to trust God. They do not want to obey God. And so they give up on God. And when giving up on God, then God in return gives up on them. So God gave them over to a reprobate mind. It literally means worthless. They think in their mind that God is worthless. So God, look, they think in their mind God is worthless so god then in return gives them up to pursue things in their life that are worthless that, that's the expression in their minds they go god's worthless What do i need him i just want to do what i want to do i want to do what i feel is best to do i want to do what i'm born to do i want to use my own identity my own expression my own way so they God is worthless in that sense. And so what does God do? The response from God is God gives them over then to a worthless pursuit. He says, fine, you want to pursue things that are worthless? and pursue them. Go ahead and chase all these things. And in the end, you'll never find them. You'll never find it. You're always longing for some deep satisfaction in some relationship and you'll never find it. Always longing for affirmation from someone else and you'll never find it. Always longing for success or money or popularity or fame or whatever it is. Always longing for that, but you'll never get it in the end. You pursue these things all you want, but you'll never find them. You'll only find them in one place and that place is in God himself. So he says then to do those things which are not convenient... It's a really interesting way to say not not fit for us to do. To do those things which are not convenient. It's literally not fit. It's not proper. It's not not right. It goes against the way in which we were created or made. How? Being filled. See that word? Being filled. Verse 29. Okay, so watch this. Watch, watch Watch. Not, Not being affected by these things as if they were External. As if, as if they were outside of us. No, we're filled with these things. Do you understand that? That's, did you see the difference? Not, not affected by it, like it's something over there, and I always I want to walk close to it and touch it and then run away, right? It not, not affected over there. No, we're filled with. So, look back to the same argument where does it come from? It comes from our own hearts. But well, what, what comes from us? Well, look, look at the list. Literally, all kinds of unrighteousness or all kinds of sin. Fornication, which is all kinds of sexual sin. So let, let me be very particular here because this is where the church gets a lot of criticism. Oh, you'll, you'll talk all kinds of things, Pastor, about homosexuality, but you'll leave off adultery. Well, that may be true, but this is not true of the Bible. Might be true of the church, but it's not true of the Bible. We're filled with all kinds of unrighteousness. Like what? like fornication, like all kinds of sexual sin. Adultery, premarital sexual relationships, extramarital sexual relationships, pornography. All of these things are an expression of sin, just like homosexuality was an expression of sin. Wickedness, which literally means to delight in doing wrong, to be happy about doing something that you know is wrong. Covetousness, that's, that's called Greed maliciousness, doing evil towards someone with, with evil in particular in mind, like wanting evil to happen to them. Murder, debate, so which is argument or fighting, contentious, just, just being flat out disagreeable. Whisperers, which is, which is a good, it's like a really fancy way of saying gossip. Well, I'm not gossiping, I'm just whispering. <laughs> Backbiters, it's open slander. Open haters of God. Which means they don't want any rules. They don't want any accountability. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. Despiteful. It was just like general discontempt for everybody. Just just kind of a spite. You ever met somebody who's spiteful? You're sitting next to someone who's no, don't, don't raise your hand. Proud boasters, which is an attitude of superiority. Quite literally, you think you're better than everyone else around you. I would I would never stoop to that level. Well, maybe the apostle Paul takes the opposite approach. But by the grace of God, there go I. Inventors of evil things. That's a, that's a really weird phrase. Inventors of evil things. Literally sitting around, coming up with new ways to do really bad stuff. Disobedient to parents. What? You're going to put that in there with all this other stuff? Yes. Why? Because disobeying your parents is an expression of disobedience, of disbelief to God. So all, all, all the teenagers in the room, look here. Parents, make sure your teenagers are looking at me. Pastor's talking to you right now. Disobeying our parents is an expression of disbelief in God. He's thinking, I know better than my mom and dad. It's like saying, I know better than God. It's the same expression. He says, without understanding, which literally means senseless or, or, or ridiculous. you like, don't even make any sense. Covet breakers. Has there ever been a society where someone wor- someone's word means as little as it does in our society? Someone agrees to do something, they, they just don't do it. Without natural affection. Watch this. Without natural affection. What does this mean? It means no, no love for the family, no, no love for brothers or sisters, no love for friends or neighbors. It's literally the, the phrase is literally like, no natural love, no familiar, no natural family love. We see this in our world. Millions and millions of mothers kill their babies before they're born. No natural love. We see this in forms of abuse. No natural love. It's a natural thing for a man to love a woman, and when a man loves a woman, he wants to see to it that she flourishes. No natural love. So that instead of seeing to her flourishing, man, he's always keeping her down, holding her down, abusing her verbally, physically, emotionally. No natural love. It's an expression of sin. It's child abuse. It's an expression of sin. It's not a natural thing to abuse your children, to hit your children, to be angry towards you. Just not a natural love. So with no natural affection. That's an interesting phrase. Domestic abuse. No natural love. Implacable literally means cruel or or ruthless, pitilessness. Unmerciful means unforgiving, no compassion. That's the mark of a man who disbelieves in God. Just check the list. why, Why is he like that? Because God gave him up. Because God gave them over. Why? Because sin is running its natural course in his life. And that sort of idolatry, exalting ourselves, our feelings, our own passions or desires above God, that sort of idolatry has produced the most hideous sins and crimes throughout history. That sort of idolatry has has produced the most hideous sins and crimes that have ever been done in the history of our world. But notice this. Look what it says. And not only do they, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. Look, literally is, they applaud people for treating people like that. That's the phrase. In Romans chapter 2, verse number 15, Paul teaches us that, they which, that, that the work of the law written in their hearts, their own conscience bearing witness to their own thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. That they who do such things, they know the judgment of God, They're convicted in their own heart and conscience, like they know down inside that this isn't right, and yet they just excuse and accuse and applaud all the reasons why they should be the exception to the rule. But hear me on this that they who do such things are worthy of death. We all stand under the judgment of God, not just certain kinds of sinners. All sinners. Not just certain kinds. All kinds. For the wages of sin, yours and someone else's. Yours which isn't that bad. And theirs which is terrible. For the wages of sin is death. See, Pastor, it's been a really long sermon that's been pretty negative. Here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the only hope that any of us have, the only hope is not in what we have done, the only hope is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the greatest truth of the book of Romans. That the righteousness of God is revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you and I who hear of the Lord Jesus Christ that we may then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No matter who and no matter what you can be forgiven and saved and that's the call this morning that's the call this morning if you are here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior all my plea my prayer my begging with you would be that you might today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would see God as good as loving as all-knowing as purposeful as having designed you with a purpose and a plan, that that purpose that He has given to you is fulfilling and it's satisfying and it's far greater and far more lasting and, and far more enduring than just your temporary feeling that there's something bigger and greater and grander to live for. And that is God and God alone.